Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rocket MSP podcast. I'm Steve Taylor, your host, and welcome to the show that asks the tough questions of vendors. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Martin from Scopestack. Thank you, Jacob. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Absolutely, man. So uh, for people that don't know who you are, can you give us a quick background of sure. your accolades, if you will? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I've worked in the MSP space for uh, going over a decade, um, probably 15 years. Um, worked at, at an MSP for um, quite a while, did every job there pretty much. Um, became COO, uh, left COO to come to a place called Scopestack. Um, I saw a very big need and that Scopestack could fit that need and I love helping people. So took the plunge, left, uh, left my, my previous position and uh, came over here the first of the year. Um, really enjoying it so far. Just uh, a lot to learn, a lot of, a lot of meeting a lot of good people and, and trying to improve the managed services space. Awesome. So you'll notice that today I, I wrote this long, fancy title for today. It's called Expert Insights, Navigating the Pre-Sales Process for MSPs with Jacob Martin, VP of Sales at Scopestack. So that sounds really awesome. Sounds pretty important. I think, you know, it makes yeah. me feel good that, that my name's in there anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm the host. <laughs> I don't... I, I, I'm I'm the show, so I don't I don't That's know right. my name in the title. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kind of so, a big deal. Uh, you know, I I pretend I am, and that's what matters. That's right. So so. <laughs> let's let's do this before we dive into to all these questions. I've got. I want to start by defining what is pre-sales because you know there's this whole sales and marketing engine that that MSPs should be building and and scope stack is a very i'll call it specific part of that engine in your eyes at least right. um so how do we define pre-sales so that way the people that are watching or listening uh know what we're about to talk about so i think there's there's a couple of different uh, aspects to a pre-sales uh, role if you will um pre-sales in the MSP space is based around services most of the time. Um, so there's pre-sales for product, but there's also pre-sales for services. Um, I would say pre-sales is more of, you know, going out to speak to a customer, finding out what they need, making sure that you have a complete list of a scope of work for the customer to make sure that you've qualified that deal as, um, as best you can to make sure that you fit all the needs the customer has. That's before you speak to technical delivery or, or anyone like that. Pre-sales is that motion of um, almost consulting with the customer to kind of drive their technology and help them see, you know, these are the things that I see. This is probably what we're going to need to do. This is the level of effort it's going to take to get it done. Here's the kind of resources we're going to need to do it. Uh, and this is ultimately going to be your price uh, in order to fulfill that, that need. Guess it helps if I unmute myself every every time, every time without fail. All right, so that's cool. Um, so, what would you say is the most important aspect of a successful pre-sales process? Then, mm, uh, I think that's two parts. Uh, I think that there's not really a most important. I think that that there's two things. One, listening to your customer is incredibly important. Uh, if anything, that's probably the most if we had to name one. But I think uh, actually delivering what you sell, knowing that you can deliver what, you, what you're telling your customer. So um, there's, there's never a time that I think you should fluff it and just assume that something can, can be done. Um, so I think making sure that you are telling your customer something that you know to be true. Uh, and if you don't know, then tell them you don't know. I mean, that seems... Like wise uh, uh, advice for anybody in any mm -hmm. role. If you don't know right. something, uh, don't fake it till you make it. As <laughs> as fun as that sounds, it's probably not going to get you where you expect to go. It might be fun at first until you actually don't make it, and then it turns into a disaster. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you go about identifying the needs and the pain points of a prospect? So asking the right questions, one, um, but also sometimes the customer may not know what their, what their needs are. They just know their pain points. So I think it's up to us as technology providers um, and solutions experts to be um, driving the technology for the customer. They shouldn't necessarily come to us and say, hey, you know, I'm worried about getting fished. I need security awareness training. They should say something along the lines of, I'm getting these weird emails. I don't know what to do about it. And then we should provide, hey, have you ever thought about security awareness training? You know, um, something of that to that nature. Um, so asking the right questions to, to define their pain points, to see where they're, uh, if they're losing money because of a, a failed process, uh, how we can fix that process, things of that nature. You really got to dig in and really try to become a part of, of that business, whoever you're serving. Uh, it shouldn't be a one-off. We're a third party. It should be, we want to be a part of your business and help you grow. What pain points do you have? Where where do you see deficiencies that you think technology could help? And uh, can you can you talk about some of the common challenges MSPs face during the pre-sales process? And and I want to talk not about the uh, I need to go talk to my boss or I need to go talk to my wife before spending this money. Soft no. I'm talking about uh, the challenges that MSPs probably create for themselves. <laughs> yeah, we, we've done that in the past as well. I think everyone has. Um, to be honest, I think that sometimes, um, sometimes MSPs want to put in a specific solution because they know uh, that it's the best thing for the customer. But sometimes the customer doesn't understand why it's the best thing for them, especially when it hurts their wallet. Um, and I think that could be one thing. Uh, for example, uh, if you're talking to a customer and you know that they're opening in the next 10 years, they're going to open seven locations. It's probably a better idea to, to do some cloud hosted uh, services uh, instead of doing an on-premise server. However, the cost is probably going to be higher. Uh, and that in the long run, it may not be if you're doing a you know seven to 10 year analysis of pricing, they're probably going to see the balance and they'll say, wait, that's not that much difference. Um, and sometimes the, the MSP tries to push that a little bit too hard. Uh, at the end of the day, the customer is not always right, but they are always right because it's their money. Right. Um, so I think they get their They back themselves into the corner sometimes and it's difficult to explain some of those technologies to people who don't understand the technology. Um, mm. So I think that that's one common thing that I see people face. Uh, for example, if uh, I had a, a client that wanted to move, he, he wanted to move to cloud stores, but he had no idea why he just had heard, you know, it's more uptime and this and that. And I'm, I ask him, you know, do you know the cost difference for him? He had one location. Um, he had never been down. He had never lost any kind of, data. Um, we had a very, very good backup solution in place for this guy. And, and he was just like, well, you know, I, I've heard this and I read this. And so it's kind of the opposite scenario, right? Of what I just described. So it's explaining that you don't actually need that. Like not saying we wouldn't rather have it. We would rather manage it that way a hundred percent, but you don't need to spend that kind of money to, mm -hmm. to perform the same exact way that you're going to perform now. Like there's really not an advantage. And, and I got to say, one of the, the most common ways that I used to set myself up for failure was by simply not having a pricing conversation toward the oh. beginning. And, and I'm talking, again, pre-sales. Like, mm -hmm. I want to um, I qualify everybody because, you know, I, I think there's a difference between a prospect and an active customer, Right. You know, right. if it's an active customer, you've already got um, an idea of what their budget's like, what they're probably going to say yes and no to, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? When it's a prospect, this is a new relationship. Uh, there may not be a relationship at all. It may be, you know, your first or second time talking with them. And you need to make sure you're not wasting your time. I think that's one of the biggest challenges MSPs create for themselves is they waste their own time. They, 100%. yeah. So, and I'm sure you're going to tell us how scope stack later on is, is going to help us waste a whole lot less time. 
right? Sure. Cool. So since we talked about pricing, um, what role would you say price plays in the pre-sales process on your side of things? I mean, I would say it's a pretty large, a pretty large portion of it. Um, I think that it's all in the way that you explain and lay out your plan. But I do think at the end of the day, it is a, is, it's a major factor because at the end of the day, that's what, that's where it impacts their bottom line. So um, I think it's very important to be transparent up front. And I think your, your, um, your very first and second conversations, you need to be able to, to make sure that that customer feels confident and can trust you. Uh, building trust and, and, and knowing, letting them know that you're an honest person uh, is definitely going to weigh in heavily when you say this is how much money it's going to cost. Um, so, but I think cost is a very big factor. I think it's second to building trust because at the end of the day, if you build trust and you have a good plan and you lay it out and you're honest and say, this is probably the timeline that it's going to take to get this, you know, this isn't going to be something that happens overnight. I know you want the solution next week. It's going to take that long to even ship, you know, that kind of stuff. And you just be completely transparent. The cost, the price point kind of is, it's relevant, but it's not as relevant if you set the correct expectation. So let's let's talk about something else that MSPs may not do a great job with. Let's talk about project scoping. <laughs> First, can you discuss the importance of project scoping? Oh yeah, that <laughs> there's there's multiple parts of project scoping. Um, I think that if you have, I think it's the most important part of the project. I think building a correct scope of work is more important than the timeline, more important than scheduling. I think it's more important than even the technical delivery uh, because it determines the technical delivery's outcome. So how do we, how do we scope a project correctly? Well, you're asking somebody who works at ScopeStack, so that's kind of difficult for me to answer. But Fair. Okay, so, so let, me, let me rephrase the question. Let's say we, as an MSP, <laughs> and most MSPs don't have this problem, I'm sure. But let's say maybe we don't have things properly documented. And maybe the owner is the only person, or maybe it's like one or two guys, and everything just kind of lives in their heads, right? Now, again, most MSPs don't do that because most MSPs are doing this right, right? So sure. now there is that one guy who has the super <laughs> secret, like the super secret notepad on his computer with all the data in there, you know? That's yes. Yes, and that that's guy. the guy we're worried about right now. That's the guy. So, so, so let, let's talk about uh, him. How does he say, all right, this customer wants to migrate from on-prem exchange to Microsoft 365. How, how do you begin to scope that project when, when you don't actually have a defined process for how you're going to do this. It's like, it's like you have to do two things. One, you have to figure out what do I need to do to make this happen? And then two, what are my costs involved and what can I charge? Correct. And then on, on top of that, you're, you're figuring that out to give to the customer, right? You're building that scope of work to, to quote the customer. So there's a lot of questions a lot of investigation to do with the customer. How many mailboxes do you need? How many aliases do you need? How many, you know, do you need, you know, what kind of, what kind of office suite do you need? Do you just need exchange online? Do you, there's so many questions that have to be answered. First and foremost, you have to answer, ask the right questions. Uh, but not only do you have to build that scope of work to give to your customer, your technical delivery team has to build a matching scope of work uh, in the PSA tool. So, I think um, I think there's a lot that goes into that portion. Uh, most mostly investigation and and uh, setting clear expectations with your customer. Are we going to do MFA if we're doing? You know, are we going to go ahead and do that now? You know, there was plenty of times where I would scope out something and and just assume that the technical delivery team knew that we're going to we're going to do MFA with this. It's kind of hand in hand, uh, and I it, that shame on me for for assuming you know what's in my head in my secret super super secret notepad may not be what's on someone else's right so that it's, guy has a hard time it's almost like you're saying we need to know what we're doing before yeah. we can scope a project yeah you, you definitely need to do your homework before you start uh i think if you if you some people do jump right in and they you know they've they've done this 
I've done this before. That's a horrible way to go about doing things um, because what you did before may be completely the same project and completely different from customer A to customer B. Yeah, small um, business server doesn't exist anymore, guys. You didn't oh, do this before. <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, that that needs to burn. All right. <laughs> I think everybody would agree. Small business server was a bad decision. I liked it. No, oh, no, no, no. Well, you might like it until you try to migrate from it. I guess maybe that's maybe that's a better I, way. Of- I never migrated from it for a client. Oh, so it's wow, a, a try. Yeah, I I really liked it. Now, I stopped using it after 2003. Okay. So, I I know I'm I'm older than I look, maybe, I don't know. It's, it's the camouflage. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, how do you ensure your proposal accurately reflects Yes, I'm making sure I said my words correctly. How do you ensure your proposal accurately reflects the scope of a project? Language matters. Um, your language fields have to have to match um, very close to what your technical delivery team is going to deliver. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, hmm, I think that is a very. I think there's approvals that have to happen. There's a lot of things that go into building a scope of work accurately. Um, I mean, you have to, you have to build the scope first. You have to investigate, find out what you need. You have to build the steps. You have to look at the resources. You have to look at how much those resources get paid and choose which rate to, to charge for each, uh, each process and line of like whatever that line of business is and, and their level of effort, calculate that. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that, but even more than that, if that language in each task doesn't match the language that the technical delivery team is expecting to build, then they're going to not deliver what you sold. Um, and that, that makes a liar out of the pre-sales person, which is something every pre-sales person should worry about. And I know I did, uh, always worried that I'm telling some, somebody something that really can't happen. You know, um, even though I knew it could happen, I didn't know how it was going to happen because I'm not the one writing that scope. So now what's the difference between the proposal and a statement of work? Does scope does scope stack have two different things there? Or so is- the scope the scope of work would be um, what you're building out in order to give the statement of work, if that makes sense, or the proposal. I would consider the proposal and the statement of work the same thing. Okay. Uh, the scope of work and a statement of work, I would consider two different things. If that makes gotcha. sense. Gotcha. It it does. Because because sometimes you don't want so. Sometimes when you have a scope of work, it's going to have a lot of technical language built around what that service is, right? But if you give that to a customer, they're not going to understand the gibberish that you put on there. So a statement of work may not even include all the tasks in the scope of work. It may just say the top level, you know, this is a a wireless AP deployment and underneath it, it isn't going to talk about building out SSIDs and all that. They have no clue what all that is. So sometimes you just leave that out. I think John, my, uh, the founder of ScopeStack, one of the founders, he always says, you know, you, you may not want to show the customer how the sausage is made. And that's true. A lot of times you don't want to because it's just, you're going to get the deer in the headlights. They're going to have a thousand questions and it's going to lead to prolonging the, the project when they really, not saying they don't need to know, but if they're not technical enough to understand it, which most aren't, they shouldn't be. You know, if you're talking to a doctor that's, you know, a neurosurgeon, he's working on people's you know, brains, we don't, he doesn't need to worry about uh, what an SSID is. You know what I mean? So, um, so I would say that a statement of work or a proposal would be the same, but a scope of work is completely different. So how do you leverage feedback from the the customer or prospect during the process, during the pre-sales process to improve your proposals? Uh, I'm big on feedback. I love feedback, uh, positive or negative. Um, I think that you can always improve. Um, however, I think that it's really great to give your team words of affirmation. If, if they have done something really great, if they get really great feedback, you know, tell your team, make, make sure they know they did a great job. Um, but if there is a mistake or if there's something that was a little slower than the timeline should have been, uh, that feedback definitely helps to say, okay, we really need to hone in on this process and find out, you know, what, what did we do that we could have done differently to make, this not take five hours and only take three, you know, um, what, 
what changes could we have made before we handed this to the customer? Or, you know, if we would have planned this differently, would it have possibly uh, caused this not to happen? You know, uh, I think feedback is critical in that because um, if you're, if it's honest feedback um, and not, you know, something that's, you get some of those, no customer's ever done this, you know, I'll just stop there, but, uh, but no customer's ever told us, you know, that, that, that we should have done something faster or maybe we should have done this better or something uh, and it not be true. <laughs> so, uh, when that's never happened to any MSP, I'm sure. Ooh, rapid security response. Enter your password to apply the macOS security response. Ooh. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Let's restart. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried rebooting? <laughs> oh boy um <laughs> so we've got really active chat today and i'm i'm loving this uh right now they're talking they're not even talking about what we're talking about they're talking about password managers this is hilarious <laughs> That's great. so um all right let's see uh last pass don't recommend it <laughs> I think you just did. No. <laughs> just because the words came out of my mouth does not mean I'm saying buy it. Um, all right, so let's see here. Uh, what are some best practices for managing expectations during the pre-sales process? Ooh, that's a good one. So I think conversations. I think you can gauge uh, the, the the customer by having conversations. I don't think... If you're in the middle of a project, there should be two things happening. And, and uh, a lot of people may disagree with me because people hate meetings. Um, but I do think there should be an overview, not a meeting, not some kind of let's not waste a whole bunch of high level resources time talking about tasks. But there should be a high level overview of your projects uh, internally. And I think that should be relayed to the customer externally um, more frequently than not. I would say weekly. If you're in, in the process of, of a project, I would think. Uh, at least weekly, you should have a conversation between the team that's delivering, the technical delivery team, pre-sales, and then the customer. I'm a big advocate of of communication. And I know that there are some people that uh, subscribe to one of the many different uh, sales trainings out there, like Sandler, for example. Um, And like I said, there's, there's a bunch. I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but Trust me, there's a bunch. So many of them say, like, uh, they almost dictate, here's how you should uh, uh, run your sales engine, right? You know, here's what a sales meeting should look like. Here's what everything should, you know, get get that, uh, uh, make an agreement at the beginning of the meeting so that way it's okay for them to tell you no, you know, things like that, right? So how how do you tailor how do you customize your, your pre-sales approach? That thing that, that Sandler says don't change. How do you change it <laughs> based on the size of the prospect or project? That's Because what you're not going to do the same thing if someone's like, hey, I need a new laptop versus, hey, I need to migrate a thousand mailboxes. This is true. That, that's true. I will say I'll give you that, but I disagree on some of the other stuff that Sandler says in that aspect. I think that every customer's project should be treated exactly the same as far as uh, they deserve the same attention. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that, a, a you know, a building a, sec- a, a second or third domain controller is any less important than an email migration. I don't think that deploying, a, you know, 50 to a hundred computers is any less important than um, deploying a, you know, a, a network infrastructure stack. I think that they're, they deserve the same amount of dedication, same amount of resource allocation, if you will, to as far as um, this person is an expert in this subject matter. This person's a security analyst. He should be installing a firewall, not a network person. Uh, you know, I think that that kind of thought should go into every project. Um, but you are correct. If you're deploying a laptop or you're deploying a server, obviously there is a difference there. Um, and I think that's a, that's going to be a case by case basis. Um, there's a lot of people that have, um, have project teams 
um, or there's other people that have subject matter experts that work only in that specific arena, like network security or, um, or and then there's some that have a mixture of both. There's lots of different scenarios, but I would say uh, just knowing, um, knowing your client probably would help you more than knowing their size. So it, it doesn't matter if you have a client that has 50 employees or you have a client that has 2000 employees. If the client that has 2000 employees is really laid back and they're, they've been a customer for a really long time and they're just, you know, they're very kind and, and understanding. And then you have one that has 50 employees, but they're a real jerk. Um, you're going to have to manage that differently. So you have to wear kid gloves around the 50 client and not so much on the, the 2000 person client. You know, I think it's more about the client than the project, I guess is probably the easiest way to say that. So, so let's, let's pivot a little bit here. Let's start talking about success or measuring success. So what would you say some key metrics or KPIs that MSPs can and should track during the pre-sales process are? Don't worry about explanation of why or any of that. Just give me top level overview, bullet points. What are some metrics that we should be tracking? Um, I would say, I mean, there's quite a few. I'd say that the two most important to me uh, in, in, say, a pre-sales process is going to be your buying window and your conversation rates. That's probably the two that I would go with. Um, you say conversation rights? Rate, like rate. how often you're having Duh. a conversation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. It's the, southern, it's the southern draw, man. It gets everybody. Don't worry. All right. Now, how, how do you use these metrics to identify areas of improvement in the process? Sure. So, so I think you should, you should identify your buying window. Um, and if you're, if your buying window starts to look like it's closing, um, then you probably would measure that against a low conversation rate. Um, I think that it matters to have the, the amount of conversations you have is going to allow that window to stay open longer or, or you deliver the project. Right. Um, so those are the two biggest ones that I follow. Um, you know, it, in my opinion, if you're, if you have somebody who's ghosting you, that doesn't mean they're not going to still come through, but it also doesn't mean that you don't need to be sure that they understand we have all these other projects. Don't be afraid to tell your customer, if we can't get an answer by this week, we're going to have to push this project behind other projects. And I just want to define buying window is, uh, I, I know on average it takes me 90 days to sell an MSP proposal. So 90 days is my buying window. And if I've got a, a sales proposal out there for 105 days, the chances of this closing is next to nothing or whatever, right? Yeah, I would, I would, I would assume that they've already went somewhere else. That's when they get the, hey, is there any interest left? Um, you know, should we still be having conversations? One of those kind of discussions should be should be had if if you make that ninety win you should probably have that before the before the ninety windows up. Okay. Um, now conversation rates is this just how frequently you're having touches with the client? I would consider them touch. Yeah, I would consider them touch points, but I would also consider them um, moving the needle. Like depends on what the conversation is. If it's just, hey, we're still investigating or we're still looking at your product. Okay, well, you know, your buying window is 90 days. It's been 30. You know, what, what next steps do we need to take? Is there another, you know, another uh, demo? Should we come do a walkthrough? You know, whatever the case may be, if we're talking about MSPs, it's probably going to be more along the lines of we know the buying window was 90 days. Um, you know, I'm sure you're gaining other, uh, getting other quotes for services. You know, what would help us, um, you know, what would help us get to the top of that list? Um, is there anything we could do differently that to make sure that we're providing the most value that you can see uh, between us and our competitors? Something that, that would really push that needle, not just, oh, we're still looking. Okay, well, don't just let them stop with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Really put, drive, that, drive that conversation to a point where, um, you know, you're building a relationship. You're not, just, you're not just selling them something. You're building a relationship with them to, to make sure that, they understand, they can trust you, and that you're going to do what you can to really help their organization. All right. I've got three more questions I'm going to do. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity that's watching live. If you have any sales questions, 
not scope not scope stack questions, sales questions. Pop them in the chat, and we'll do our best to get those answered for you. Um, so let's talk about sales pipeline. Um, there's there's got to be metrics that you need to know how how many people I need to get in my pipeline before. Because because you know it's it's a funnel right so I need X number of people because that's going to convert into X number of meetings which will convert into X number of proposals. How do you measure that? Is there I an app? A, uh, there's not an app that I've used. Um, I'm maybe I'm just old school, uh, but I, I measure it by what the what the MSP can actually handle. Okay. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy, but th there's if you were to take on more clients than you can support your previous client, your current clients that may have been clients for years are going to suffer. So I was always of the, of the idea of this is how many clients that I know we can actually handle per month. Um, and that was where, how I built my funnel out. And I basically would go in and say, okay, you know, I think this one's going to land and I'll get the, the buying window. You know, this is a long-term sale. This might take, this is a large customer. They might take, you know, six months to actually come back and actually say we're ready. Uh, so I would put them in a different funnel. You got to you have to build your deal stages. I, I use HubSpot. So I when I say deal stage, I'm referring to HubSpot. Um, mm -hmm. But my funnels always went in deal stages. So I would have, you know, six months out, 90 days out, whatever the case may be. Um, and I would actually look at where we were internally. And if it were that I thought we could take on another one, then, then I would reach back out to someone and say, Hey, we're actually going to have a spot open, uh, in May, whatever. Um, if you're ready to onboard, you know, we, we can push that, push that up a bit, you know, cause I would try to lay that expectation out. Most companies have contracts with their current IT provider. So their buying window is already set. They're like, okay, my contract's up in January. I need to make my buying window between November and December because I need to be ready in January. And then we would always tell them, it's better to have 30 days with both of us because there's going to be some collaboration that's going to have to happen. Uh, and a lot of times people would just cut them off. Like if mm -hmm. you get a customer from another MSP and they, they are disgruntled, they'll just cut them off. Like, Oh, well psh, you're done. So if they do that and they still have 30 days, I mean a month left, they're not getting paid for that 30 days. So it's always good to make sure you're onboarding 30 days prior to them leaving their other, their other MSP. Um, in case they're not professional MSP people, you know. I like that. That is that is very good advice for everyone here. Um, so let's talk about financial metrics. Uh, what are the best metrics that we should be tracking for, you know, our, our sales people when it when it comes to success? For your sales. Can you ask that question again? I'm sorry, I kind of missed so, that. So, for your financials for your salespeople? Yeah. So, what what financial metrics or KPIs should we be tracking for the sales process, if you will? Um, so, so how how how, for example, do you determine what a quota should be uh, if if you're developing a, a sales process, like I shouldn't I shouldn't say, all right, well, I'm going to make a sales process and sign up for something and give myself a hundred thousand dollar a month quota because that just seems ridiculous. <laughs> well, being realistic definitely definitely is is key, um, and I think that I think you should. It's going to depend on the MSP again. That's a very difficult question in the MSP world. Selling MSP services or and we're talking about customer acquisition, not project um, right at this point. Customer acquisition, that's what I'm talking about. Customer acquisition, you have to measure by what you're, what you're able to bring in currently before you bring someone else in, right? Um, because a lot of times you're fishing in the same pond there if you're, if you're local, right? So a lot of these MSPs that are, we'll say, small to medium, they're regional at best, right, as to who they're trying to serve. Um, and you're fishing in the same ponds. So I think it really depends on the on the MSP. That's a very difficult that's a very difficult question for me to answer as far as KPIs go for a salesperson on customer acquisition. Now, if it's inside sales, that's a little easier because you kind of know these are the projects that are going to be coming up. You know, if you're driving your customer's technology properly, you know what they're going to need in the next year to two years. So you can technically go in, you can have that person budget for 
their customers, their subset of customers, if you will, say they say they're everything south of here. This is your, your region. These are your customers. I need you to own their technology, know it, drive it. And then you can basically budget from that. Well, this, they, this customer needs 35 computers by the end of quarter four. Well, then we need to go ahead and budget for that. And you can go ahead and set a KPI based on those projects. You can set metrics that way. New customer acquisition is a little bit more tricky. Um, and I think that really is uh, depends on if your person is more of a business development cycle or a sales cycle. And I consider those things two different things. Business development mostly is long plays. Um, you might land a, a huge client, but it may take you two years to do it. Um, whereas you could land five or six small clients in two months. You know, um, it just depends on what kind of person you're hiring to sell. That makes sense. It does. Sorry, sorry, I don't have a really good answer for that one. I always, when I did customer acquisition for the MSP, I was at it was more of a, it was a natural thing. I build relationships with people. I get a lot of referrals because of it, um, and so you never really know when something's going to just drop in your lap, or if it's uh, if it's one of those things that hey, I've I've got this in my pipeline. I'm sure I'm sure that I'm going to land these three in the next five months. You know that, but. It, every customer is different. So you never really know how much you're going to charge that customer. We charge based on endpoints due to network complexity. So like if they had a hundred endpoints and one office, it's going to be a cheaper rate per endpoint than someone who has six offices and a hundred endpoints because the complexity is higher. So we would charge more for that. So I know that's kind of a different way of, of doing mm-hmm. things than most MSPs, but that's the way we did it. So it was really difficult to say, Hey, I'm going to land this doctor's office in six weeks. There's 30 employees, but they got 22 servers. So it might be a little more complex than a doctor's office. It's all cloud with 50 users. So it's, that was really a difficult metric to follow for me. I have one last sales related question and it's okay. a complex one. Okay. Um, so I'm going to call this a two-parter. So how do you measure a prospect's satisfaction of the sales process? Like, is it as simple as they bought from me? So they liked me, they didn't buy. So they didn't, or, or, or is it more nuanced? Like, yeah, we we know they liked us, but it just wasn't in the budget or they went a different direction for another reason or, and then Uh, the second part of that is how do these metrics inform your business or sales and marketing strategy? That's a fantastic question so i think that uh feed again feedback is key um i I don't think that any one sale is either purchased or not purchased for the same reason as the next one so what i mean by that is let's just say for example i quote msp services for customer a and i quote msp services for customer b and then you know another msp comes in and they quote the same exact quote as me. The difference is, let's just say, I don't win customer A, but I do win customer B. Let's say customer A is a manufacturer, customer B is healthcare. Well, my company specializes in healthcare, which is why we landed customer B, not customer A. They specialize in manufacturing or whatever, right? So so I think there's a lot of factors to that um, as, as to why you don't land the deal or why you do. At the end of the day, uh, I think that the metrics behind it is a lot of feedback. I think you need to ask. You need to ask questions. Why did we not land this? Or why did we land this? Um, because at the end of the day, they're going to come to you and they're going to tell you the truth. Either your price was too high. Common. You know, that's a common thing. This person outbids you. And what you find most of the time is two years later, they come back and call you and say, I really should have went with you guys and not worried about the cost. Um, that's hmm. God's honest truth. I've had that happen more times than not. Um, and, and most of the time I had one customer that came to me and they literally told me I did everything you told me in the consultation to do. I bought the same backup solution. I bought the, the fiber from spectrum. I bought the same access points. I bought the same switch that you said I needed. I bought the same firewall that you said I needed. I just went with this custom, this company because they were less expensive to manage it all. And I said, okay, you're calling me wise. And she said blatantly, her words verbatim were because they were terrible and I should have known I was getting what I was paying for. 
So you can use metrics like that, um, those kind of that kind of feedback in your next conversation. You know, with you can use stories. To, stories sell. That's just the bottom line. Stories will sell you faster than anything. So if you go into a customer's office who you feel like is like, oh, you know, I got all these quotes. I got to I got to look at pricing, and then you pull that out and you tell them that story. It's going to persuade them to think at least maybe he's right. Maybe I do need to listen and, you know, maybe I do need to pay attention that I'm getting what I'm paying for. Um, you know, don't under undervalue yourself, you know, and what you bring to the table, but at the same time you have to be competitive and you have to listen to your customer and you have to instill trust and confidence. If you go in there and you have no idea what you're talking about and you're not confident in what you're saying, they should go somewhere else. So if you get feedback that said, yeah, well, my salesperson just, was kind of all over the place. They didn't really make me feel like they, you know, they knew what was best for me. Then you need to use that to coach your, your employees. Right. So two parter, I would say you need to ask why or why not. Um, don't get, don't get upset when someone specializes in something and you don't get a sale because you didn't specialize in it. And they do uh, happens. We got a lot of healthcare customers because we specialize in healthcare and they, we beat out some really quality MSPs because we specialize in healthcare. And so, that just happens. Um, so use those metrics to either say, we're going to dive in and we're going to learn HIPAA laws. We're going to specialize in healthcare. You know, if you really want to make a difference in, you, in your business and you, you're willing to put in the work, then you can say you, you put in the work and you specialize in healthcare, you know, and next time you'll, you'll have something to go up against. So ask the questions. Hmm. That's, that would be my answer. Ask the questions and find out how to be better. That's fantastic feedback. So uh, thank you for coming on here and doing this, Jacob. I do have some questions for you regarding okay. ScopeStack. Elevator cool. pitch, what is it? <laughs> so ScopeStack is a, a pre-sales uh, automation tool, a CPQ uh, tool. It's basically, um, think about it this way. If you go out and you were to scope a project for a customer in pre-sales, uh, typically, you go through the, through the process we already discussed. You're going to have to build out something in Microsoft Excel, probably put a proposal together in Word, give the proposal to the customer where it looks all pretty in Word, then come back, take the Excel spreadsheet, go up against your project's team, whiteboard everything, try to figure everything out, um, find out the solutions, um, and then probably go back to your customer and say, well, I missed this little part, whatever. Um, but then then they're going to have to, you're going to have to go in and you're going to take that build out your scope of work, assign a resource, a line of, line of business, if you will, uh, the, the amount of hours that it's going to take and how much it's going to cost. You have to build all those calculations in. And then after all that said and done, your customer gets that the official quote, they sign off on it. Then you're going to have to go to your project delivery team and say, hey, I need you to take this and replicate it inside the PSA tool. So what scope stack, go ahead. Now you said CPQ. What is that? Mm-hmm. So CPQ is it, basically it's a quoting tool. It stands for uh, customer. Uh, I'm sorry, not customer. Configure price quote, not customer price quote. Okay. Um, you'll see that uh, you'll see those tools, but most of them are for product, not services. So the difference with ScopeStack is it's built for IT providers by IT providers, and it's based around services. So most CPQ tools are like if we needed to, you know, sell you a switch or something of that nature. Uh, and it can sell anything, whether it's a, you know, roof and shingles or, or a switch, right? They're not made for, for IT providers as much. There are some. Um, but what we do is we build it around the services. So it actually builds the scope of work and attaches it to a resource and a level of effort. So with us, you, you don't have to do those steps that I just said the MSP typically does. With ScopeStack, what you do is you go in and you say, okay, I want to do a firewall install. You look at your standard services, which we have over 50 already built in there that we just give you. Uh, you can manipulate those how you want, save them how you want. And uh, so you go in, you say, okay, I need a firewall install. You type in firewall installation, click you know, review, and it reviews every step. You push it over to your project. It goes into your project, and you have it right there, all your steps, your level of effort, your resource, which re- resource rates to find. You should never charge the same rate for a consultant that makes this much versus a security analyst that makes this much. They should have different rates. You're losing money if you're not doing that. <laughs> um, so, so it combines all of those things, calculates all those things, builds you out a clean scope of work. You hit generate, generates a, a DocuSign integration, 
document that you can send to your customer. They sign off on it. You push it over to the PSA and it builds it right in there. So if you have ConnectWise Manage or Autotask, uh, I love both of those, but everybody everybody knows it's terrible to build a project in those. Um, it's absolutely hor- horrifying to build a project inside those. So with ScopeStack, what your pre-sales builds, your technical delivery team is going to deliver because you push it directly over and it doesn't change. All hmm. the language is there. All the steps are in there. But again, you don't have to show the customer how the sausage is made. You can say, send this with these limited amount of information, line items, calculations, everything gets pushed over. Um, it's it's an automation tool for your pre-sales process. And there's so many different things that I could talk about it. It's very difficult to do in a 30-second elevator pitch, I can tell you that. No, that's, that's awesome. And I, I, I got to say, my next question you already answered because it was going to be how does ScopeStack help MSPs streamline their sales process? Right. We've, we've actually seen uh, – we've had uh, – case studies to where people have said, you know, we, it took us three weeks to do a scoping process and we cut it down to less than 24 hours. So, I mean, you can just imagine that productivity. I can scope a full network design in less than 10 minutes. Hmm. That That's remarkable. If I would have had that at my last job, there's actually, I mean, there's a survey feature inside scope stack to where you can send an intern out to answer questions and it'll build the project. And then you say, okay, have this approved by a project manager. You send it over to the project manager. They spend 15 minutes reviewing it, approve it. And you didn't send the project manager on site for three hours to do a site walk. You sent an intern. I mean, we have one client that does that quite a bit and they have done really well. Uh, their their return, uh, return is pretty high. Their ROI is enormous actually because of just that one feature. So it, it saves time. It makes sure that you have... Um, accurate scopes of work you save those so it's not like you're reinventing the wheel every time we did a lot of infrastructure as a service at my last job so we would onboard a client and then we would do infrastructure as a service at the same time so we were installing their firewalls switches access points and onboarding all at the same time right that was that was one thing that we did a lot of and we had it down to a science but we still had to build it out right with scopestat you can build a blueprint which is multiple projects and one scope of work and just say apply this blueprint and it pop up your onboarding all the tasks that your onboarding needs your your uh, firewall installation all those steps the even meeting with the customer steps are put in there and all of it has a number attached to it for how much it costs so you're not missing out on that money even travel and expense is built in so you can choose travel and expense and set it static in the settings it attacks it on everything that you do that has to do with that service I mean, there's so many different things that the tool can do. Um, like I said, man, we're about we're about fixing problems in the MSP space. We we want to be part of the community and really help. And that's one of the reasons that I came here was because I'm like, this is this is something that can save pre-sales engineers or solutions architects weeks of time away from their family because that's what we do, right? We come home, mm-hmm. we've had a day, we wait till our family goes to bed because we're so we don't want to spend time away from our family so we wait till our family goes to bed and then we're up till two in the morning building scopes of work so we don't miss a deal because we know time kills deals but this you can build it in front of the customer i can sit in front of a customer build a wireless survey and have it signed off on before i leave the office that's amazing it's it's True. pretty remarkable and again it's all it was all built to improve that that's what john one of the founders that's what he did he was a he was a solutions architect for um, uh, for some of the big guys, I'm not going to name names, but one of the really big players, and he he got tired of spending time away from his family, and he was like, "There's got to be a better way to do this," you know. And so uh, that's how it was even that's how it was birthed it, with IT providers' lives in mind. Um, and so you're going to start seeing you're going to start seeing ScopeStack a lot uh, in in the community. We're really making a push to make sure that we are part of something bigger than just a product. Um, we you know. MSPs spoke. They said, Hey, you know, I can't afford some of the smaller MSPs. Like, we can't afford this. So we went in and while everyone else is raising their prices, we just lowered ours. We're, hmm. we're not about, we want to make the space better. So if we, if we're going to do that, we have to put our money where our mouth is. Right. So we came in guns blazing. Let's fix this. Let's make sure that everybody can afford it. Let's make sure that, that there's no capacity on this anymore. You can scope as many projects as you want. We got rid of that. 
we did a lot of price changing to make sure that every MSP can afford and use ScopeStack in a way that will improve their business. So what's it cost? So there's three different packages based on features. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a limit as to the users. So there's, um, there's a, the essentials package can scope projects, professional services all day long. They can pull an opportunity from your CRM uh, into it. So if you use Autotask or ConnectWise or some of those guys, there's some other integrations that you can pull the opportunity in uh, and you can start scoping right then. Um, if you wanted to integrate with your PSA, uh, that would be the business plan. You can push it over to your to Autotask or ConnectWise Manage, Dynamics, some others. Um, and, and there's the business plan there. And then the ascent, the premium plan has workflow approval. So if you need your all those things plus workflow approval to where if, um, if you wanted to, say, have your security team check off on a project before, before it's ready to go out the door, you can do that. And it also has the surveys feature I was telling you about. You can answer questions as an intern and push it over. So our essentials plan um, is 105, comes with three licenses, unlimited projects. Um, our business plan is 250, comes with five users, um, and it's unlimited uh, capacity as well. And our premium plan is 750, comes with 10 users. That's really awesome, man. And I'd say the the pricing for for the fact that uh, an entry level MSP can get started for around a hundred and would you say one hundred and fifty one hundred five one hundred five yep yeah an entry level MSP can get started scoping projects get more time with their families um, and get to bed on time <laughs> right well the you know one thing about it is people don't charge they should but they do not charge for the time it takes to scope. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. noticed that, but MSPs just leave that part. Of, they just bake that in. Uh, the The problem with that is you're not charging for your time. And I don't know anyone that doesn't charge at least $100 an hour. And if they are, they they should at least charge $100 an hour. Right. So they just add, I have one customer that literally, just, they literally just put scoping time, $105. So one project pays for their scope tech account. They're small and it works for them, you know? That's perfect. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, that's you know, perfect. It pays for itself. One one project pays for the platform a, a month, and you're good to go. And that's a very, you know, going back to KPIs, it's a very easy thing to measure. Uh, mm-hmm. Did I sell a project this month? Yes or no? <laughs> did I pay for the product <laughs> I'm using? Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And, and so uh, I think everyone should be making money for the time they're spending, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Well, well, Jacob, I think uh, I ran you well over the time that we allotted. So thank you for sticking around extra. I appreciate it. Uh, I would love to have you back to do a demo of ScopeStack. This thing, yeah, I've I've been, you know, I, I know I got a, a demo of this already with my MSP, mm-hmm. and it it's cool. So I I want to show the world, man. Yeah, I'd love to come back. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I enjoyed talking with you and getting to meet you. I think we spoke before a long time ago, but I've I've Mm -hmm. enjoyed actually getting to talk with you a little more. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Thanks everyone for watching and I will catch you guys at the next episode. Take care. Thanks guys.